Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Glad to have you back with me one more time. Let's get this right out of the gate taken care of. I am uh, humbled, um, thrilled, uh, humbled. Oh, I already said that. Humbled twice by the response from last Saturday's uh, John Denver remembers for his 80th birthday. Uh, it is by far, every time I do a show about John, it becomes the most downloaded shows that I ever do. Now, part of me says I should just do that every Saturday. I don't think he'd like that, neither would I. But over 12,000 of you either downloaded or listened to the show. And there's, two di- there's a different uh, scale on each of those. I can actually see the literal downloads. It's well over 12,800. The listens get a little bit more difficult to track because some people listen four, five, six, seven times. So that skews the numbers a little bit. But it is safe to say on my end, if you take those numbers and put them together and you factor in a couple of the... Uh, the uh, intangibles, like people downloading it multiple times, it's just about twenty-two thousand uh, people who checked in on that podcast. I uh, I get such a big kick out of doing those shows for him because of the presence he had in my life. Uh, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I made that abundantly clear over the years. I'm it's just a pivot point in my life. It just happened to be him. Could have been other, and there are other people. One of which I'm going to mention here in a few minutes that were pivot points in my life at certain times. I, they said what I needed to hear and they saw me in a way that I couldn't see myself. And when those things came together, man, stuff starts happening. And I, I, I'm well convinced that had a small conversation underneath the, uh, the auditorium stage at the Wang Center in Boston, not taking place with John and I, just the two of us under a bare light bulb for about 15 minutes after a concert he did in 1991, uh, I don't, I'm not doing this. It's just, it's just a different thing. And then of course that, you know, followed a couple of three years later with him pushing me out on stage in the Aspen music tent for the human family. And it just has been a domino effect ever since. Now, look, I've faltered on this, uh, journey many times, but I've never wavered. And there's a huge difference. And to me, that is a, a major lesson in my life. Listen, you're going to be you know, out doing what you want to do and try to make a difference that you want to make in the world. And it's going to be a slog. It's supposed to be difficult. Because if it wasn't, I don't think everybody do it, but most people just wouldn't. So difficulty is part of the whole deal. But again, thank you so much for that. Uh, Michael Martin Murphy was fantastic. I hope you really enjoyed the little mashup that I had there when I took Boy From The Country and kind of morphed it into John singing it out of Murph singing it. Murph wrote the song. Uh, John's version is incredible. So is Murph's a little bit more down home. John's a little bit more broader and wider and higher. Uh, But I was so nervous about putting that little five-minute segment together because it's Michael Martin Murphy, for gosh sakes. And it's John Denver's voice. And you have to find that insert point to make it work. And I, I went back and forth. It took me about an hour, seriously, because I'm a perfectionist in that stuff. It took me about an hour to get that little five-minute segment right. And uh, from what I've heard back from people, you really enjoyed it. And of course, Dr. Cheryl Charles, her brilliance and education 
shines through this conversation that we had about her dedication to the planet, the work she did with JD. And then Donna Lippman, who's so dear and near to me, uh, just a wonderful human being with a huge heart. Uh, it was a very difficult time for her when she lost her husband, Terry, and for all of us who knew him. And that's why I called that particular podcast last week, What One Man Can Do, because that's what Terry was all about, what John was all about. And quite frankly, it's freaking what I'm all about and what you should be about. You know, when I started this podcast going on six years this May, now that's just the iteration of this platform. This is the the delivery system that I that I use now. There was a time, obviously, I was on radio every day, Monday through Friday, and uh, all over the map with different radio stations and frequencies and things like that, microphones all over the country. But this particular platform now that I use allows me to jump into my studio, turn the heat on because it's a snowy, cold day here in Chicago, get the coffee going, check my email, and get the elements for the show together, and nobody can take it away from me except me. There's a great freedom in that. So I'm often asked if I'll ever go back to the days of doing regular, quote, radio. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. It'd be great if it did. You know, in this business, as long as your voice works uh, and you have some sort of some sort of mental faculties, I don't think everybody in the air does, but that's my opinion, uh, you can do this for a very, very long time. And so while I just turned 65 last week, this work keeps me young. It reminds me of the ideals and the determination I had when I was a kid about how the world could be. And a lot of that comes from John. So it was great to do that. I really appreciate the response to that. And uh, it was just fantastic. So this week, it's a little bit different, but not so much in the fact that it's something else that's really has been important in my life uh, for a very long time. And the lessons learned from that, and that would be football. Now, for all of you out there who don't like football, don't change the channel. Not that there is a channel to change, but you get my drift. It's really the lessons that I gleaned from football. And the reason I'm focused on this today is that tomorrow is the last game of the regular NFL season and the Chicago Bears are playing the Green Bay Packers in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field in Green Bay. It's the best way to end the year. You know, it hasn't ended very well for us over the years, but uh, it is fantastic. You know, I saw this thing the other day that at one time, there was some consideration from uh, the Packer hierarchy about putting a dome over Lambeau Field. I think they would have hung them all to dry by their Buster Browns had that happened. It is supposed, in my mind, and it's one of the reasons Soldier Field is such a thing, it's supposed to be outside. It's an outside game. Now, I understand there's fan comfort and the fan experience, but I'm telling you, even though it's snowing out here today, for example, I can remember being a kid and we go out and play snow football frozen to the bone. Didn't matter. We were outside and we're playing the game we loved. So to me, it's always been that way. It should be that way. I have these vivid memories of watching games on television, especially the Los Angeles Rams playing the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota in the snow. Two teams I really never got a chance to see on TV because in Chicago back in the day, Channel 9 was the only place we watched football. But every now and again, there'd be the game of the week kind of thing. And uh, it was just uh, it was just a big deal. So anyway, I'm focused on this game tomorrow, and that of course brings me to my friend Jerry Kramer, who played ten seasons with the uh, the Packers, and from '58 to '68, he was inducted in the Hall of Fame 2018. Uh, he was just on the show with me about a month ago with uh, Bob Fox. They have a collaborated a new book that you should get called Run to Win, and Jerry's on the cover with his fist pump going and wearing his gold jacket from Canton. Fantastic cover. 
had a great conversation with those guys. And so much of what I've talked with Jerry over the years has zero to do with the actual game of football. It's incredulous and incredible to me that here's a guy that was a guard, one of the most unsung positions in football, but one of the most essential positions in football, which in itself is a huge lesson. Let me get to that in a second. But he was unsung and unheralded, and you were an offensive lineman. You were a grunt. Your, your job is to push people forward. All the glory goes to the guys with the football. Offensive linemen, unless they recover a fumble, don't touch the ball. Same for the D-line. Same for most of the defense. So the glory guys are the quarterbacks and the running backs. They get all the big money. But if you don't protect those guys with big guys, it doesn't work. So today, in this game in the 21st century, I watch football because I played so many years of it, maybe different than the average fan. Uh, but I'm always real keen on what's going on with blocking assignments, right? And that lesson itself has been so profound for me. Now, when I played peewee football, everybody played every position. And then we moved up to the traveling league and we all kind of moved around then. But I started to find myself most comfortable as a defensive end, which is the guy on the right or left side. And they also stuck me a tight end. I was able to catch a few passes in my day. I loved the block, loved the physical contact. So for the rest of my career, whatever that might have been, high school, college, and semi-pro football, I played either tight end or defensive end. And I friggin' loved it. Let me just put that out there. I friggin' loved it. And the payment for playing that game uh, comes in the form of injuries, for sure. The most notable of which, which is now called CTE, which is this um, jarring of the brain and the difficulties that have come from that for many players. And on one hand, you know, you look at these guys now, they are bigger, faster, stronger than any players have ever been in the National Football League. And they're also more well-equipped than, say, in Kramer's day or even when I played college or semi-pro football. The helmets that they wear now look like something the great kazoo would wear from the Flintstones. I have one, two, three, four, five, six helmets in my studio. I'm looking at Dick Butkus on top, Jerry Kramer next, Deacon Jones, Jack Youngblood, and two of my own helmets. And if you could look at the differences on the inside of the, the padding of those helmets, Jerry's is something called a suspension helmet, which basically means you put these the straps on your head. It's inside the helmet, and you slide it down, and the, the helmet sits away from your head. It's supposed to be a suspension thing. So when you get hit, there's some leeway. Yeah, it doesn't work out too well sometimes. And then when you go down to Deacon Jones's helmet, it's similar, but there's some different padding. If you look at the helmets I wore, we had water helmets and air helmets, which means they would actually pump air into little pockets of the helmet, or they had packets of, quote, water. I don't think it was really water, but it might have been water helmets. And that was to cushion the blow from, from, the, from the game. And listen, I can tell you, myself and all the guys I played high school for sure with, and college, some of us, you know, we wore those helmets so much, there was permanently etched a red mark on your forehead just from wearing it. So it's a violent game at every level, and they're trying to make it less violent. Now, at the NFL level, it's still... I mean, call it what it is. It's combatants going at it. That's what people pay to see. But the human body, especially the human knee and the human neck, was not made for this kind of impact. So the things that have challenged me most over the years um, have been my neck and my knees. I had knee surgery when I was in high school. I uh, had it again right before I went into college to clean up what didn't work in high school. And my neck has given me troubles for years. My fingers bent, twisted, whatever. Uh, but you know what? It, that's how it is. I will say, though, that 
every time I get a little forgetful, uh, I wonder if there's been some problem with, you know, concussions. I know I've had a few bell ringers, that's for sure. The worst thing I think I ever had on the field was what's called a stinger. And for those of you who've never had one, it's a hell of a lot of fun, I'm here to tell you. Not. I don't remember the first time it happened, but I can remember what happened. It is literally like you're paralyzed, literally on the, on the ground, and it feel, felt like somebody drilled a little hole in the top of my head and right down my spinal column poured molten lava or lead. It was just this burning sensation that eventually goes away, and then you get up and you play again. So this would become kind of a recurring thing for me, and it got to the point where if I got the stinger during a football game, especially in high school or college, and they knew it was me, like, ah, oh, he'll be all right. You just kind of lay there for a second, and then you get up. So I haven't had that for a very long time, but it is something that's a carryover from the game. But for me, what I've been able to extract from the game that has helped me in my life outweighs the difficulties of playing the game itself, the physical parts that, uh, that I've dealt with. And listen, call it what it is. I think at every level it is a zero-sum game, meaning if you're all about, in high school, in high school I weighed 200 pounds. Now, that was not big or small, but compared to what kids in high school weigh today playing football, I'd be a, you know, a twerp, I'm sure. But back then it was all kind of even. So when you're playing at that even level, you're, you're hitting as hard as you possibly can. And everybody's about within the same 10, 15 pounds. You get a couple guys that are giants off to the side here now and then, but you know, you're still having these hellacious collisions and at that level, it's, it, it still hurts. Then you move up to college. And when I was in college, I was about 235, 240, and the guys are bigger as well. And then, so that becomes the next level of that stuff. And semi-pro, I played between 245 and 250. And we had a lot of guys that had tried out for the pros and, and came back and, you know, were either cut or didn't make it, couldn't get football out of their system like I couldn't. And we played and the collisions, I'll never forget one game in semi-pro playing for the Chicago Panthers and we're playing against the Chicago Chargers. And uh, one of the great Chicago families, the Playsex, had a couple guys playing on the team. And Robbie Playsex was about 270 and he was the leading blocking back for his brother Bruce who was about 200 pounds, maybe 180. And I had looped around. It's getting towards the goal line. We're probably within the red zone for sure. And there was this hole opened up, and all I saw was Bruce running with the ball. I thought, I'm going to make him eat his lunch. And I come around the corner, and Robbie Plasek, wearing double zero, who outweighed me by about 15 pounds, hammered me like $2 burger. I mean, it was like a couple of dinosaurs meeting in the, in the trenches. Bam! And all I saw was stars. And he did too which was good because I felt he, he creamed me and we both kind of just held each other up. I'll never forget it. And Bruce just walked right into the end zone. It was a great memory. And I saw Robbie a few years ago and we, we, the first thing we talk about, we hug each other. We're both big now, you know, we're a couple of old guys and uh, we, you remember that? Yeah, I remember it. It was, it was something. So that's kind of the badge of honor with that. But at every level, there's that difficulty. But what I was able to extract from things like that that no matter how hard you're hit in life, meaning business, personal, financial, spiritual, even physical, your job is to get back up. I mean, that, it, of all the lessons that football taught me, it was to get your ass back up. Because there's another play. 
baseball is a game of total failure. I mean, if you, you're lucky, if you get three out of 10 hits, you're going to the Hall of Fame maybe, right? But football, every play is a new beginning. Bang, 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 over and over and over again. And so the strategy of football, of course, is to score more points than the other team. But in, in order to do that, in my humble opinion, is you have to have the fundamentals down. If you don't have the fundamentals down, and fundamentals are rarely fun, by the way. They're, that's why they're called fundamentals. If those big guys up front, it, just what I said, if Robbie doesn't make that block on me, I knock Bruce on his ass, he doesn't score, and we go the other direction. Life's like that. Those moments that show up in your life where at this pivotal time, how many times in life I'd have to reenact that without a football helmet, where I felt I was stopped, I was done, I got hammered. I could have stayed down, but then nothing happens after that. So the biggest lesson I've ever taken away from playing, I don't know, 22 years of football, uh, was get back up. You get back up. They're going to win some, you're going to win some. You get back up no matter what. Every single play, to me, translates into every single day. You get back up. We had this one drill where you would, uh, when I was in high school, we did uh, across the board. And we played semi-pro football. We didn't do a whole lot of drills. We did a lot of drinking, but not a lot of drills. But in, in high school and college, for sure, there was this, this blocking sled usually a six or eight man blocking sled. What it really is, is this big, long piece of iron with these pads on it and you'd hit it and and then next, and you go in line, you go bang and you'd roll to your right and bang and you roll to your right and bang, you roll to your right over and over and over and over again. And it was a constant, I mean, we did this for 10, 15 minutes in the summer sun, sweating our nads off. And to me, that's like the essence of how life is set up. Something's there to block you. There's a reason there's a blockage. So you can see how strong you are in what you're doing and what your, your determination value and factor is. What's your desire to make something work? So we'd hit that sled. Bang. I'll never forget it. Line up. And here's one guy and there's all the, it, bang. And he rolls to his right next guy. Bang. And you just kept doing this over and over. And so that was the preparation of course for the game when you get hit so you roll and get up again so that's the first thing the second thing that i've extracted from the game of football on the eve of the packer bear game is discipline i'm gonna tell you something nothing zero in life gets done without a, a great measure of discipline if you don't have the discipline to stay with something win lose or draw you might as well pack it up and go sit in the stands that's how i see it you know, when I come into this studio every day, the reason I keep so much of this memorabilia in here is to remind me of getting back up again. All those football helmets by the greats, Dick Butkus, are you kidding me? Jerry Kramer, Deacon Jones, Jack Youngblood down there, and even my own helmets. They played it at their level, I played it at my level, but the fundamentals were the same. Get back up. The discipline of showing up to play the game no matter win, lose, or draw is essential. Sometimes you cannot control the outcome of the game. Bottom line, you can sit in the stands all you want and think they should have done something different. But until you've played football at some level, like college or semi-pro, and the difficulties that go into that and the struggle that goes into that, there are sometimes you can do everything right and it turns out wrong, meaning you can do it all correct and they still win. That doesn't mean you quit. It just means you re-strategize and go back at it again. So the NFL season's 18 week long or 17 week, too long for my taste, but you know, that's just me. Got to get that revenue going from TV. Uh, but 
That discipline piece remains with me every single time I walk in here. It was not my intention to turn this into sports memorabilia headquarters. It is reminders when I come in here to do my job, to keep getting up, to have the discipline to show up in here, whether I'm doing this podcast or working at somebody's audio project or writing Randy Hunley's book. It's all the same to me. Do your job, which is directly connected to the discipline. My job as a tight end was to catch passes and make blocks. They would call a play and I knew my assignment. You got to know your assignments. We had one guy, God rest his soul, big guy, 6'4", 240, playing offensive tackle. And I had to tell him the play every time we went to the, to the line. Here's what you're supposed to do. I had to know my assignment and his assignment. He's supposed to know his assignment. He could just not grasp the concept of what he was supposed to do. I'd say, you know, turn, turn left, block this guy, do this. This is from the time we snap, break the huddle to the line. It's like two seconds. I'd tell him, here's what you're supposed to do. And he'd nod his head. Eventually, Tennessee comes knocking on his door because of his size, and they want to give him a scholarship. I think he went for a year, and then he, he didn't make it because there was nobody there to tell him what his job was. If I was 6'4 and 250, I'd have friggin' known what my job was. Anyway, that's another time. So discipline, getting back up, and doing your job, those three things right there. You can have all the frickin' life coaches in the world. You can pay people to tell you what to do and look at your blind spots. But if you just did those three things every day, got back up, garnered your discipline, and did your job, you may not be able to control the outcome or even your income, but you can damn well put your head on the pillow at night saying, I did the best I could with what I have where I'm at. And you're on a team, whether you know it or not. I have a team of people I work with on every project I do. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. When I do these audiobooks, I record them all. I coach the people to, you know, to, to, do, to bring out in them their best self. So when the audiobook is heard by people around the world, you know, it's something that they want to engage in, all that type of stuff. I do all the editing. But when it comes to uploading all this stuff to Audible ACX, that is not my job. That's not my forte. It is not my discipline. I have somebody else do that because that's th what they do really, really well. So you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, right? So you got to know your job, but you also got to know what's not your job. In my um, commitment to keeping these about 30 minutes, uh, I'm looking at my clock here and I want to kind of get ready to, to wrap this up. Uh, tomorrow, as I mentioned, is this Packer Bear game. And I was digging in the archives for uh, some Kramer audio that I thought I had. I can't find it. I'm not going to spend a lot more time doing that. I'm just going to kind of reiterate uh, something that he and I talk about quite often. And it's the reminder that's on the helmet that's sitting across the, the, the room here from me. Uh, the only other person, you know, that has this kind of impact on me from the Bears was Walter Payton. We, I worked with him in the, had it been 90 to 93, 94, somewhere in there. Uh, I was, prior to that, I was the director of strength training at the place called the Multiplex in Deerfield. And one of the trainers that was on staff for me had played in the Bears 85 team and also played another year with the Chargers. And he knew Walter and, and all things kind of transpired. Eventually I knew Walter and of course I knew who he was from being in Chicago, who didn't. But I would find myself walking into Walter Payton Incorporated out in Martingale Road in, uh, in Schaumburg. And sometimes it'd just be the two of us there. And I'd sit there and talk with this guy and thinking again, how does this happen to a guy like me? Discipline? preparation, you know, doing your job, keep getting back up. You'd be amazed at the opportunities that come your way that you can't even know today are there. 
And so I was thinking about this story that I wrote for Chicken Soup for the Golfer's Soul many years ago. When myself, uh, NFL great Tony Galbraith, a brother to me from another mother, uh, the late great Winford Brown, the three of us, and a guy from IcoPro, I can't remember his name, uh, from the World Wrestling Federation, they had bought uh, ad space in one of our magazines, and they were part of the Walter Payton Golf Tournament. There's a huge deal back in the 90s, Walter's Golf Events. And I'm teeing off. <laughs> Tony, myself, Winford, and this other guy, I think it was Jonathan was the other guy's name. And I tee off, and the ball I hit goes straight through the trees to the right, and I yell, four. And I go walking, you know, after I'm done, I go walking through the trees, running basically, because it went through the, to the other fairway and they, people come in the opposite direction. So we're going up, they're coming south, we're going north and the ball goes flying through the trees. And I look and I see people scattered on the ground, like a hand grenade was going off and sitting in his golf cart was number 34, sweetness, Walter Payton. He had not flinched. They're all on the ground. And so I go to retrieve my ball. And he says, let me play it. So he takes my ball and drives his entourage to our green. And of course, you know, that's a big deal. We're playing golf, just the four of us. Walter's got 50 people with them all watching him. And he comes over and he puts the ball down and he's going to putt it from like 20 feet away. And that's not an easy thing to do. I don't care what you think when you watch golf on television. It's not an easy thing to do. And all of a sudden, Eddie Payton, his brother, starts hooting. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And he just looks up and looks down. And they're getting louder and louder and chanting, Walter, Walter. It's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And he sinks this putt like bing. And it gets real quiet. And all of a sudden... I realized that this was kind of like a setup, meaning I don't, I didn't plan on this happening, but I needed to pay attention. And he walks over to me and it had gotten so loud, you know, they're yelling at this guy to miss it. And he sunk it and he says, you know, just remember that outside circumstances don't matter in golf or life. And his point was, is that no matter how much noise is going on around you, do your job, show up, have the discipline, the determination, the perspective, the focus to do the thing that you need to do the best of your ability. In his particular case, it was running a football better than anybody in the history of football itself. He's the only Bears player outside of Ted Albrecht that I've really had a connection to over the years. But Kramer, you know, I read his book when I was eight years old, 10 years old, and, and uh, instant replay back in the day, as millions of people did. It was it had a profound effect on me. The fact that we even know each other this day is a always a pinch me thing. It's a fantastic friendship that we have over 35 years now. And a couple of years ago, uh, he was in Chicago, which does not happen very often. He and his son, Matt, were in for some event he was speaking at, getting a big award. And, you know, he, he's a grumbly old bear at this point. I th you thought I'd come to Chicago to get a friggin', you know, uh, award from people in Chicago. You know, you could have, there's no way that should be happening. He's revered in, in Green Bay, of course, and a uh, longtime friend, as I mentioned. But he signed this helmet to me, and I've given so much memorabilia away in my, my life. You know, I have people sign stuff for events and things like that. i got all kind of stuff sitting here, but I'd never kept any of it myself, really. And I finally said, I'm just going to get a helmet for me. And so I want to have Jerry sign it and keep it. Listen, the guy's in his 80s. You never know if you're going to be here tomorrow, so I thought I'm going to do that. And we sat there having more than a few libations, if you get my drift. And the stories got 
longer and the, uh, the voices got louder. And of course, as soon as somebody in the room, I don't know what hotel we were at downtown, realized who he was he's, and he's wearing two Super Bowl rings. Uh, that was the end of that. But at one point after, I don't know how many makers, marks or wild turkeys, he just says, where's that helmet at? And he gives me his helmet and he starts signing on it. He wrote things on there, preparation, dedication, discipline, and perspective. Like those were the four building blocks, not only of the game, but of his life and our lives. So again, every time I walk here in the morning and I see that helmet under glass and I see those words there, I'm reminded of what I'm supposed to do today. That's it. That's, that's, that's my job today is to do, keep those things in mind. You know, it's a great reminder. So I don't know who's going to win the game tomorrow. Kind of hoping the Bears shove it up their backside, you know what I'm saying? But they're also in Lambeau, and that kid up there has got a big arm, and, and they've got their home fans behind them. So it'll be interesting to watch. But once again, when that's all done, and these guys are all disposable heroes, bottom line, uh, there's an assembly line just like it was when we were hitting the blocking sled, rolling to the next thing. These guys are going to get hurt. They're going to move on. They're, they go out of the game, and they're forgotten in so many different ways, which is a shame because they give so much while they're in it. I just think that the lessons of the game are bigger than the game many, many ways. And that's what this podcast is really about. I don't care if you like football or not. It's not the point. The point is find something in your life you can put that dedication, discipline, perspective, and the desire to, and then keep getting up. That's what's most important in all of that. That's what I see when I watch football. I watch these guys get knocked down on their backside and have to get back up again. Tell me that's not how life is. It is just like that. Or you don't have to get up. Then you just become a spectator and not a participant. Just one more pitch back to old John Denver here. One of my fondest memories of a time with Kramer. In 2014, I believe it was, uh, Jerry and I went to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I was living here in Chicago, but we set the event up there because of obviously the proximity to Green Bay. And... Um, we're doing this event called Lessons from Lombardi. And much of what I've talked about in this podcast is exactly what Kramer talked about in the, uh, in the event. And so it was on stage and we had helmets and footballs and hundreds of Packer fans. And I was basically throwing him softball questions that he could do his thing and hit it out of the park and, you know, do these great quotes and bring out his great stories and all the things that he's so well known for. So my job was to, to kind of shove that towards him and then him, you know, share it with the audience. On the way back to Milwaukee, the next morning about, shit, we left really, really like four o'clock in the morning, had to catch a plane. I pick him up the hotel and we're driving back and this song comes on the radio and we both kind of looked at each other and started singing at the top of our lungs, which wasn't always a pretty thing to hear, but we were earnest in our efforts and endeavors, that's for sure. And this is the song that Jerry and I was singing about four o'clock in the morning driving down Highway 41 in the dark, sipping coffee and uh, serenading each other as we went along. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith. When you asked how I've been here without you, I like to say I've been fine And I do 
But we both know the truth is hard to come by And if I told the truth That's not quite true Some days a diamond Some days a stone Sometimes a heart In my mirror More and more Is a stranger To me More and more I can see There's a danger In becoming What I never Thought I'd be Some days a diamond, some days a stone, sometimes a hard time won't leave me alone, sometimes a cold wind blows a chill in my bones, some days a diamond. Sometimes a heart 